Well, good morning. This is Coffee with the Sarlows, and I'm Karen. And I'm Kelly. Welcome. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, Mom. Um, the topic today is about shutting down gifts and what happens when we do. Okay. Um, and it's super important. A lot of people are asking about it and have actually for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the symptoms of shutting down your gifts, which slash su- shutting down yourself, a part of yourself, uh, roll into a lot of other medical things. Yeah. And, yeah. and oh, go ahead. I was including depression. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's important to bring it up this early in the podcast because I think it grabs people's attention. Mm. Uh, a lot of us identify at some point or another with depression. We wonder if we have it. Uh, and sometimes it's easy to pinpoint the thing in our life that may be the cause. And oftentimes it's not. Oh, yeah. I mean, if someone passes away, it's easy enough to say the person went into a depression after their husband died or after their child died. But it's a little bit harder to pinpoint if it's something where you're just shutting down yourself over a slow period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an insidious depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it starts in childhood. And, and I think that's another thing is that some people might hear that and go, what? And just turned up the volume because when we hear that that's why children can be depressed as well, we don't think that. We think the depression for the child has to come because they're medicated uh-huh. or because they have a diagnosis or um, they're being bullied So we or they don't like the teacher or a friend hurt their feelings or there's a divorce in the family and that's the depression. So we want to find very tangible things. Events. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's good. Yeah. Uh, an event as opposed to... Gee, if I'm if I'm mom or if I'm the aunt or I'm the grandpa and I I keep shutting down my grandson's gifts, I'm responsible for his depression. Oh no, certainly that's got to be because of Ritalin. It, we don't want to take responsibility. So this can be an either an eye-opening show or it can be a I don't want to hear it show. Yeah, this is I mean it's something that you that we're taught to resist in society. And we're taught to buy into certain beliefs. And one of the very frequently asked questions we get is, do you think, Karen or Kelly, that everyone has access to these types of gifts? Referring to the things that we do in our personal sessions, and my answer is always yes. I don't believe that anyone is a chosen person. Uh, These are intuitive gifts, and we are intuitive beings. And when we talk about depression starting in childhood, it's because children are the most pure source of love or energy. And we get conditioned by entering into systems or institutions and conditioned by our parents who have for a long time already been a part of these institutions uh, to believe certain things about ourselves and our experiences, Mm -hmm. even though we know them in our gut to not be true. Well, we have to fight that gut a shit ton in order to be able to stay as part of that family or part of the group, whatever the group looks like. Mm -hmm. So during this whole podcast group friends, family, churches, um, neighborhoods, schools, schools, uh, or uh, uh, what do you say that Uh, work environments or social, like all in different ways, sports, their group mentality, Mm -hmm. um, I guess is what I'm struggling to look for. (laughs) And the term for the group mentality of and we have many of them in our lives, we never just have one that have an effect on us. Mm -hmm. So we might be able to really follow our gut with our husband or our spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or one particular friend in the group, but we shut it down when we're around the rest of the group. 
or the rest of the family. Mm -hmm. And our partner knows we do that. It's an unspoken code between the two of us that we get each other, um, but we don't share that with everybody else, Mm -hmm. you know, because we know that because of the consequences. So um, I've, we've got a list. I've, I've actually been going through this. Okay, before, go ahead. before we go into the list, I wanted to mention that when, because we talked about childhood and this starting that early, it's important to understand that we condition ourselves or we allow ourselves to be conditioned, I should say, because of survival. It starts out as I need to survive. And as a child, you're dependent on adults, whoever they may be, and Our idea of survival changes as we grow and age. I won't say mature because that's not necessarily the case. But our idea of surviving in the schoolyard is different than surviving in the home and knowing whether or not my behavior is going to cause mom or dad to withhold dinner or um, necessities, right? Mm -hmm. And then as we, again, age, surviving in the workforce so as to not be fired or let go, Mm -hmm. right? So all of these things we buy into to survive in some kind of way. Yeah. In an environment that we often don't feel we have control over. Mm-hmm. And, and we can stay stuck in relationships and groups to survive instead of moving into ones where survival is not the issue. Mm-hmm. Thriving but, becomes the issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then you're safe enough in the group to be yourself. So there's a check-in right there for somebody Am I in a group or am I in a situation where I'm just trying to survive it versus am I actually in a career, a marriage, a friendship, a family, a neighborhood where I'm thriving? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to go through the list and some of them, like I said, are very physical. And this show is not to replace for people to see a doctor uh, or a naturopath or whoever your health care providers are, a therapist or whatever, um, to rule out other things. But these things happen when we live a life this way. Okay, so one of the first things I got is a headache. Mm-hmm. And how people can... Re- can we say headache slash migraine? Yes, absolutely. Neck ache. Some people don't get a headache, they get it back in the neck. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the like the the actual head, it's just a constant in the trap muscles or up their neck. Mm-hmm. But I'll refer to all of that as the headache area. And we've touched on some of these, uh, I'll say issues, I guess, in previous podcasts around other things like medical intuitive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but today, when you're talking about migraines and headaches, just to kind of reiterate what that is in the body, that's anger. Mm-hmm. that's tons and tons of anger. And we are angry when we have to be someone other than our own self. Yeah. We are angry when we have to be in survival mode. Yeah. We are angry when we have to conform, <laughs> when we are not seen or heard. Mm-hmm. The neck usually, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, has to do with rigidity. Yes. And inflexibility, mm-hmm. right? So if we aren't allowed to have our own views or our own perspectives, that that becomes an issue of stiffness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to go back and forth like that? Yeah, okay. for sure. And I, I don't want to rush through it because I know like, as I've been listening to some of the old podcast shows, Kelly, to do the little mini things, mm-hmm. the teasers for people on the on YouTube and stuff. 
Um, I noticed in some of the podcast shows as we started to get more comfortable doing this that we gave more pauses and that mm-hmm. um, I, and I liked it when I was listening to it there'd be just complete silences for somebody to be able to do a check-in as opposed to just constantly having to give them more information mm-hmm. and, well, and we've also had feedback mm-hmm. that people commute with us to and from work and we've heard people say you know you say things and I, I sit in my car and go oh fuck <laughs> And you, they do. They hit pause, yeah. or they turn it off, and and you know they think about it for five kilometers or so, and yeah, and and then are able to come back to more information. Yeah, but the the show is a lot about processing. Mm-hmm. Um, a big one, and we've touched on it with depression, but um, a, a separate one to that is anxiety, panic attacks, mm-hmm. um, social anxiety. I'm throwing a, a a few out with the anxiety issue job anxiety um and somebody might hear think well i had never heard of job anxiety before but that your anxiety is job related you may only get it during work hours you may only get or it or you get that pooing sensation before you have to go to work oh yeah or i used to get that before school every morning yeah and i and i remember thinking i don't know if i have to poo or if i'm just anxious yeah yeah, and you know, somebody might say, well, I get that about going to school, but why would that relate to using my gifts? Well, because if you're in a social situation and your gut is trying to tell you something, and I'll say gut in the moment, yeah. um, and you, you're not allowed to use your gut, and I, I want to go into this for a sec. Um, if, you're not al- if you believe you're not allowed to use your gut, then you may have tremendous anxiety over having to conform to what the system says is the next step or the next procedure. And I'm going to reference right now a book by Scott Kolbaba. Um, and it's called Untold, uh, Physicians Untold Stories. And hopefully we'll have him and some of the 26 physicians on some of the podcasts. Um, but in his book, he actually talks about how physicians use their gut. And how it, it actually saves lives. So imagine if you're a nurse or a doctor or a home care worker, um, a palliative worker in a school as um, a teacher's aide, and you're, you want to use your gut and you believe you're not allowed to because you're science-based. You're not supposed to. It's supposed to be all about science or teaching or procedures, but how important it is, a police officer or whatever, that... Do I just do what the what my my sergeant would tell me to do, or do I follow my gut? And if I do and it's wrong, will I get in trouble, or will they understand that I was using my gut? Mm-hmm. And and is is it okay? Is it okay? Can I have enough time to see how it pans out? And you get to read in the book how the doctors sometimes had to wait months or years before it panned out, and they discovered that using their gut was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm in the surgery or in the running a test. But the the book shows you 26 different physicians talking about using their intuitive gifts, where they say, uh, to heck with it just being that we have to use what we learned in a school, we have to be all of ourselves in our careers, mm-hmm. providing help to people. Um, so I just thought that was really cool. Because if you go to the opposite of that, you hear and you read in some of these stories how full of anxiety the physicians ha- are uh, because they don't know what to do until they finally follow their gut. Nice. And then the anxiety goes away. 
Okay, so that that was just a little segue into the book, but maybe something people might like to read um, to get some ideas as to how they did it. If you're sitting there listening today and you hear how Kelly and I do it, but you're not sure how other people do it. Let's go on to sleep patterns and how um, challenging it can be. Was that it for the physical symptoms that you wanted to list? Um, No. Do you want me to go through the rest of the physical first? Yeah, I think because some people will will sit there and this happens over and over again in sessions. I'll say you're you're full of anxiety and they'll say no. And I said, well, these are the, the symptoms that happen in your body. And they'll say yes. And I'll say that's anxiety. Mm-hmm. So I think for you to point out different aches or pains, some people just think they're normal and everyone lives with them. Okay. Ringing in the ears. That's a really common one. I suffered with that one and the doctors thought it was tinnitus. They thought it was menures. I There was no diagnosis for either one of them though. I went to the Dizzy Clinic in Toronto. They, well, they called it the Dizzy Clinic. Um, and I saw five ENT specialists down there because I couldn't get up. Mm-hmm. And as a re- it really the long-term answer for that was that the gifts were opening and that no medical person could diagnose because there was nothing medically wrong other than if we hear that it's ringing in the ears, we're going to say it's called tinnitus mm-hmm. or tinnitus or people have different ways of pronouncing it. Um, ringing in the ears was one. It was okay. huge. Dizziness, lightheaded. And I think that's part of where people can think that that's anxiety because they get some of those symptoms with anxiety issues, mm-hmm. shortness of breath, aches and pains in the body. Do you have any that you want to throw in while I'm going through the list, Kelly? Um, Maybe even some that you went through yourself? Oh, pelvic pain. But I mean, people are probably rolling their eyes going, oh my God, they can't get through one episode without mentioning their pelvises, <laughs> uh, which is that's fine. True. And it's true. <laughs> But yeah, clenching, the jaw, right? Oh, yeah. That can stimulate headaches or neck pain. But the clenching that happens in either the jaw or the pelvis or both uh, is pretty pretty intense when you're trying to conform. Because of the anxiety, uh, you're clenching all your muscles because you know this place is not comfortable. These people are not comfortable. Uh, You haven't found your, your people or your tribe yet. And you might be sitting at your dining room table with your own brothers and sisters or with a group of best have been your best friends for decades Mm -hmm. and realize that you're clenching. Mm -hmm. That if you say what you want to say or follow an intuitive thought or feeling that you might be made fun of or uh, pushed aside, ignored, talked over, um, a variety of things. Mm -hmm. Questioned as to why you talk shit like that. Like there's, or attacked. What, What the hell do you think you know? There's a whole variety of things criticized for it. Well, um, if you'd like, you can get the full version of that spiel <laughs> in uh, Patricia Evans' book, The Verbally Abusive Relationship. There you go. She'll list the 15 for you. Yeah. Um, another physical one, though some people might, you know, they don't always associate what we feel in the brain or the emotions as physical, is confusion in the brain. Mm-hmm. So confusing thoughts, just not knowing what you think mm-hmm. or what you want or what you don't want or what you don't like, but just going into um, being indecisive. And and I'll say feeling stuck. And maybe some people might think like, okay, we're getting off into a different, different area, but the confusion happens when you don't know yourself. You don't know your own thoughts. You don't know your own feelings. 
And that specifically comes when we shut down gifts, just to get back to the point of the entire podcast. When we are not in tune with our own selves, we're not paying attention to those feelings and thoughts, and also being able to clarify with another person if the thought you just heard is actually not your own, then you never get to learn how to separate Mm-hmm. So confusion exists, mm-hmm. right? And and there's an excellent uh, example of that in one of our podcasts. I think it's called Where in the World, mm-hmm. uh, where you talk about having suicidal thoughts for a woman in Australia. Yeah. But if you didn't know your own self and your own feelings about mm-hmm. your life, yep. then you could have easily woken up and said, no, it's me. Oh, I could have. I'm suicidal this yes. morning. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. So you, uh, I like the point you're making about having to know yourself so well mm-hmm. and you know, how very, very hard some people work at avoiding that. I... They want to know their partner inside out and their kids. Oh, this is funny. I just posted one of those like memories on Facebook, you know, like it, it generates, you know, you posted this three years ago today. Oh, okay. Uh, and no, it said, I'm banned from Facebook. Remember? I, I did ban you from Facebook. <laughs> Oh, God. Um, So the memory was I had written, as romantic as it may seem, it does not serve you to have someone know you better than you know yourself. Mm -hmm. Because we always think, oh, I want to I want to be in a partnership with someone who knows me better than I know myself. And like, oh, my God, that's codependent. You have issues. Stay away from all people. Work on yourself. Go to therapy. It like that's scary. Yeah. Um. Oh, <laughs> you had a brain fart? I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> you were looking oh, over knowing your own self. Did you find your thought to your left? Well, or let's part- hope. <laughs> I wish. Can Wait. I pull it out of your head? <laughs> oh, something. Oh, that was really funny, Kelly. Because you, your, your eyes went the other way. No. It's, oh. it's almost like you were literally trying to find the thought. Oh, don't go. <laughs> No, anyway, whatever. We can we can give plenty more examples of, of how you need to know your own self. Well, that's going to lead to the next one on the list, actually. Kelly okay. is feeling disconnected. Mm-hmm. And oh, I, I was going to share. Sorry, it came back. So I'm, I'm just going to go. Uh, I had a session 10 a.m. in the morning on a Wednesday, and I felt drunk. 100% drunk. And I don't drink. So I sit down with the client... I'm going through consent and I get to the part where I say I'm an empath. I can't ask for permission for that part, but I can let you know that oftentimes we feel exactly what you're feeling. And she goes, oh, I'm hungover. And I thought, well, fuck you. You're no kidding. (laughs) Why would you show up? And I mean, I'm I'm just being funny here, but there was a little twinge of anger that someone who was hungover showed up because I feel all of those disgusting feelings in my body. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't anticipating that someone would be hungover on a Wednesday, Um, you know, and and thinking to myself in the morning, how come I feel sick? How come I feel nauseous? How come I don't have an appetite? I love food (laughs) Uh, and I drink lots of water. So for her to sit down and say I'm hungover, it got to make sense, you know, and it, it did tell me that I do know myself well enough to know that this isn't mine. And I should have got to that conclusion. Uh, you just, like I said, you don't think someone's drunk on a Tuesday night. But uh, know, knowing yourself and being able to separate realities is is so, so important. Okay. 
I hope everybody heard that because I think of all the men and women in healthcare. Oh, yeah. who every day I think of all the nurses, doctors. Oh my God, I I don't want to just say nurses and doctors because there's so there are so many other fields, ambulance attendants, um, home care workers, palliative workers, the cleaning staff, the the secretaries, um, the person who shovels to get into the medical facility. There are so many people that work in the medical field but are not called the medical workers but are still there. The volunteers at a hospital who are empathic, who could go into or go to work in any kind of, a, of an environment or, oh my goodness, how about the people listening to this today who live with somebody who is chronically ill, mm-hmm. who, who's living with somebody who has Crohn's or colitis or a disease or cancer and, and they're empaths and they're feeling what their partner or the person, their client or their patient is feeling. If you don't know yourself, if you don't know your gifts and what they do, then you will suffer endlessly with other people. That is not called um, sympathetic pains. Yeah, there's a difference. And I, and I want to say that, yes, you can still love that person. I don't want to take away the love component of sharing something. But let's face it, you don't want to feel suicidal if they are. You want to be able to be healthy enough to be able to distinguish their thoughts from your own mm-hmm. so that you can live your day so that you can be in a healthy place to know when to help them and when not to when to let somebody else step in to help them. And that can be a challenge because sometimes if you're empathic, you want to help them every day get out of this because you want your own pain to end. Mm. And that's where we get so far into the codependent behavior that we really do get tied into the desire for them to get better. I think this can also illustrate your anger. Um, And if we're going to go back to the physical symptoms, your own headaches and migraines and and everything else related to anger, that when you're in a partnership or a a relationship of some kind where where you value it, when the other person is not taking care of themselves and you are picking up on their stuff, it is very natural and fair, I will also say fair, to feel angry when someone is not caring for themselves, Mm -hmm. when you pick up on all of their stuff. Well, and that... Kelly, I think that would lead to a very good conversation and has in treatments where the person who takes care of themselves can sit down and when they hear from us that the pain or the experiences or the depression or the emotions that they're going through are not actually their own, they sit there in a different moment of, do I want to stay? If this person is never going to work on changing who they are, especially if it's a partner as opposed to a child. Do I want to stay in this relationship or this job with this person or this friendship? Or do I want out? Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that you and I make the decision for them or the spirit world does, but they have a different what the hell moment Mm -hmm. of I didn't even realize this was the situation. This sheds a different light on it and a different perspective. And I'm sitting in a different place to think this through. What tools do I have now? to move forward in a different way with this as opposed to just keeping um perpetuating the question can I work harder am I working hard enough this is not your stuff it's not for you to work harder on 
How else can I fix things for this person? Those questions can come to an end. Instead, right. it, can, it can turn around to what do I need? Mm-hmm. What do I feel? What do I think? What do I know? And those are totally different questions than what else can I do for this person so that I can, they can feel better so I can feel better. Mm-hmm. And I know Codependent No More by Melody Beattie can be another throwout book for people today. And she has the workbook that goes with it um, that can help people sort through some of that stuff too. Mm-hmm. And our podcast called Liar Liar. Yeah, oh, awesome. Oh, and Steps of Sanity, Kelly. There are other podcast series to help people with emotional intelligence tools. Because yeah. we're talking about um, creating a higher level of emotional intelligence because the gifts require that. We're not allowed to sit at a low level of EQ anymore. Or ego. I'm go- Let's say it again. You're not allowed to sit at a low level of emotional intelligence anymore. Or ego. One more time. Sure. Someone's going to hit the pause button and then turn it back on and hear us repeating ourselves. (laughs) So go. You're no longer allowed to sit at a low level of emotional intelligence anymore to stay in your relationship. Or your ego. There you go. And I I, I think it's important for people to hear it two and three times. Oh, I know. You're one of them. Absolutely. And that's not a, that's not a dig. We know that oh, yeah. you've said over and over again, you yeah. need to hear things three times. Absolutely. It, it, none of what we say is to lecture people. It's, it's coming from our own experiences too. And not just in the treatment room with clients, but the shit we've also gone through. And I mean, how many times have we been in sessions where loved ones have come through and we've channeled hard messages for the person in front of us. And that loved one says, this is not a lecture. I am not shaming you or blaming you. There's no mm-hmm. finger pointing. This is me sticking a loving boot up your butt mm-hmm. to make it just uncomfortable enough so that you will move. Mm-hmm. I, I want to throw something in, though. A friend did a session for me one day, and this was a, quite a while ago, and she was talking like my dad, my dad's past, and she took her hand and she made a loose um, okay sign but stuck her finger up and started shaking it at me. But the fingers started getting looser and looser or more loose, more loose. Sorry. And that was exactly what my dad would do. So he was kicking my ass. <laughs> he was pointing the finger at me. In that particular instance, though, it was so good. Mm-hmm. I so, so enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It, it. Anyway. Okay. Are we going to go to another one? Yeah. Uh, sleep. And, and there's lots of different things with sleep. Whether you can't sleep or you have bad dreams or you can't make sense of them and you don't know what's going on or they make sense, but you don't want to deal with it mm-hmm. or repetitive dreams. There's a lot of stuff that happens in the dream world that's related to the gifts. Mm-hmm. And if you don't participate or, or don't dream at all, perhaps can't remember anything. And that's related to opening your gifts as well. I also want to mention uh I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. When people in your life approach you and say, I dreamt of you last night, you were helping me with this. Mm. Fill in the blank. Uh, I dreamt of you last night. I remember a feeling that you gave me or I remember something you said to me. When other people approach you to tell you that they are dreaming of you and that you're doing something for them, that is also a piece of the gifts called dream walking. Mm -hmm. And it is a way to open up your own gifts. Yeah. And 
in this sense, other people present the opportunity because you may or may not be aware that you were in their dream, but they can also bring attention to your own experiences, feelings, or dreams because they don't have to occur all at once where they can validate what you have felt, what you've been thinking, or what you dreamt of that night. Mm -hmm. And you can see the realities collide. Yeah. Which is what's supposed to happen. And But the point being, you have to talk about them. Right. There has to be communication where you have, like we said at the beginning, a friend group or a, group, a family or whoever that you can go to and say, this is what happened. This is what I experienced. This is what I'm feeling. And they can validate you. I have many clients who have nobody but me. Mm -hmm. And I know you do as well, mm -hmm. where they book appointments once a year, once every six months, once every three months, because they need to come and share that. They need to come quite often, as you know, they come in and sit down and wait for us to say it because they know we're going to get it for them. Mm -hmm. um, or they come in and they just want to say what's going on and how they're progressing. They might have questions or they just want to share it with somebody who isn't going to make fun of them, mm -hmm. criticize them, belittle them, make them question themselves, make them look like a fool in front of other people. Um or in front of their own children. Um, they're, they're, and I wanted to go through that some other things. Can we, yeah. are you ready to move a little bit? I um, wanted to move the next part of the, the podcast, Kelly, into what people can do and what kind of help to get um, so that they're not going in the wrong direction for help. Is that good? Yeah. Okay. First one I wanted to bring up, well, we're already talking about it, is your people who you go to. So, uh, and the qualities that you need in them. So they need to be a good listener. They need to acknowledge you. Um, so if, if it's a therapist, and they don't believe in this, and they say, Oh, that's schizophrenia, or that's mental illness, book an appointment with somebody else. There are plenty of therapists that are open. All kinds, at all different levels, that are willing to listen, or where you can maybe approach one priest, one minister, one rabbi who isn't in a religion, and yet you might find a different priest, rabbi, minister, or whatever spiritual per or religious person who is. So sometimes even within certain structures, some are and some aren't. And how important it is that you get somebody who's respectful of your experience. They might not understand it and tell you that, it doesn't mean that they have to know or to teach you or to mentor you, but you certainly have to find somebody who's respectful of listening. Mm -hmm. If if you approach someone and their response is fear, they are putting their own belief system on you. Mm -hmm. And that is a choice point where you get to buy in to their belief system or you get to know your own self and choose your own beliefs about your own experiences. And I think that's really, really important because we, we seldom, sorry, we don't assume often enough that people are in their own shit. We assume that they're good listeners. We assume that they're paying attention to us. And they don't. They have all kinds of internal noise. When you tell them about your own experience, they're drawing a parallel to their own life and responding from that space. Remember... You came home the other day from being out someplace, social, 
And you said you were just listening to a group of girls, a women, pardon me, a group of women speaking. Mm-hmm. And one of them walked up to the group and was explaining something that happened. And you were just, you weren't in it. You were just listening. You were just yeah. sitting somewhere else. And you said that not a single one of the other women actually listened to her. They just started all saying their own child's experience. Well, my kid said this. Well, my kid did that. None of them were validating or listening or questioning or engaging her. Mm-hmm. They all just started saying, oh, 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 when last night, this past weekend, my kid, well, well, and they all jumped into their own stories. Yeah. Um, I think it's important for people to really do what you did, sit back and observe your friend group or your coworker group or your family or your spouse or your kids or whatever your groups are before you share to see, are they actually good listeners? If I come in the door and just share an experience, maybe from the day, or I say what happened in the car on the way home, do they listen or do they jump in and tell me their own experiences in the car? So that you understand if somebody's actually listening to you or not. Mm-hmm. If they actually engage and ask questions, are you okay? Or if they actually engage or do they sh- just go off into their own? Mm-hmm which really is a good indication about so many other things about that person mm-hmm. <laughs> and that group. Uh, but it's a good, it's a good place to begin. Um, and it's the same thing when people come for treatments. If they're going to sit down in the treatment room and share that, I'm going to sit and listen and I'm not going to interrupt them and I'm going to ask them questions and validate it. I'm not going to jump to my own experience. So it's, it's, it's good. Okay. Do you want to go to another one? Yeah. Um, a good mentor, mm-hmm. somebody like the, like the podcast shows or you and I, or a group, a, a other like Hey House Radio, where they might want to go and pick something and listen to other shows or find other authors that have these gifts that, or my goodness, it could be somebody within their own family. I remember John Edwards saying his own grandmother had these gifts and that she nurtured him. So it can be that you find a mentor, but you really have to know what to look for and what a mentor is. I got one more would be that kind of comes right out of that can be good books, good authors that not only talk about intuitive gifts, but talk about things like verbal abuse, like Patricia Evans, Beverly Angel, Nina Brown, narcissism, gaslighting. Books that raise your emotional intelligence level so that when you are engaging, you know how to speak, you know how to identify what you want to share, you want to know how to set boundaries when other people are crossing them. So if I'm sharing something about my own intuitive gifts and somebody's crossing my boundaries, talking about my personality or some other aspect, I want to be able to say, hold up and set a boundary with them in a healthy way and bring them back to my point instead of letting it go off. Mm -hmm. So along with the intuitive gifts, you need good tools for emotional intelligence. I want to point out something that you said quite a while ago that really resonated with me. And I've shared with many clients, you referred to authors as your good friends. Mm -hmm. Not that you've ever met them in person, but that you considered your time when you sat down to read as friend time where you were going to learn something from another man or woman that was going to enrich your life in some kind of way. 
so that you could be a better mother, a better friend, a better person in general. And that I, I absolutely loved because when you're talking about finding your people, many of us want to go to the closest either blood relative or someone we've known the longest. And like you said, maybe they're not good listeners, but we want we want to believe they are because if they're not, it means grief. It means letting go. It means um, changing, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can actually go to books and consider them your friends as authors, then there's much more of an opportunity for adding to your life. This is something I learned in, in nutrition. Crowd in the good because it naturally crowds out what you've been wanting to let go of. So if you're sitting down with a good book and you're learning tons, you're going to want to read more and more, which means you're not scheduling the coffee dates as much with the people that exhaust you. Mm -hmm. And so by crowding in those new habits, the other ones kind of naturally fall away. Mm -hmm. I I think like what happened for me was as the gifts were getting stronger and stronger, it, it crowded out those people. It crowded out the all kinds of social situations, everything in my life that supported the gifts. And, and those people changed. The people around me have changed. The ones that stayed have changed because of the gifts as well, though. I, and I want to go to something about when you're starting to share some of this is that you get deeper connectivity with these people. So if I have an inner feeling, say that you or someone, a friend has some anxiety and I, I'm going to meet them, you know, out at the Artisan Cafe kind of a thing for coffee. And I walk in and there's all kinds of other people in a public setting. So it could be someone else's. But I say to my friend, do you have anxiety? I want to know if my intuition is correct. So this is putting a lot in the relationship of trusting this friend to be honest. And some people don't want to. They that might they might think that's their business or I, I didn't want to share that. There's a there there's a lot around that. So there has to be that level of trust in the relationship that when you ask that the person has to be able to be comfortable enough with you to say in that relationship, I don't want to share it. Or yes, that's my anxiety. I don't want to talk about it. Or because if they come back with no, I I don't have anxiety, and they actually do, then you now don't know how to trust not just your own gifts, but that person, when you find out later that they lied and you don't know why you don't, you, there's no explanation as to why I didn't want to tell you, even if it's just to say it's a boundary and I don't want to discuss it. So it's important who you pick and how you, how you bring up your gifts to those people to say, I'm practicing, may I? So permission to share. Mm-hmm. Is that a good example? Yeah. Try to just pick one that everybody could relate to. A cup of coffee, a restaurant, a girlfriend, a guy friend. I've said to people in in, uh, sessions when I'm coaching them to help them open up their gifts to pick someone that that is going to be honest or to book a session at a different rate where they can sit and practice channeling. Yeah. And and I'll say to them, I will be honest. Mm -hmm. I will disclose uncomfortable information if it's necessary. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I find quite a few clients do that, actually. They do use their sessions to do that. And I always tell them how much I enjoy being their person. Mm -hmm. Um, And that even if, like you say, it is uncomfortable and they walk in the door and go, well, 
um, I get that you're you're full of anger. <laughs> and, and, you know, as a professional, I might not want anybody to think I'm full of anger right before a session. They might want to think, oh, she better be balanced and happy for me. And I have to say, yes, I'm f- I am full of anger. I'm full of rage. We'll figure it out when we get into your room. It could be somebody who died that's full of rage. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give that as the message. Yeah. But I'm comfortable enough and honest and have integrity to be able to say that to people. Mm-hmm. And I think there are lots of relationships that lack that level of integrity. I think there are individuals who don't understand energy or mm-hmm. don't understand channeling as well. And I don't know if this is too much of a tangent, but some, I've had some people call and say, I want your first morning appointment because I don't want any else's anyone else's energy in the room. And I want do you smudge in between clients? And it's like, no, I don't like the smell of any of it. And the energy walks out with them because I will it out of the room. And on top of that, I could just this, I mean, this happened to you just last week. You were on the phone with insurance companies who would refuse to insure us because they thought we were medical doctors. Um, So we get off the phone, totally anxious and angry. And someone walks in for the 10 a.m. appointment that anger goes out the window. Yeah. The beings walk into the room yeah. and you're just a conduit. Oh, yeah. And it's in your head. It's okay. At 4 p.m. I'll make the calls I need to call or the calls I need to make as a human. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And I think a lot of people resist the gifts because they don't think they're perfect enough. Mm. They're not peaceful enough. They're not mm. um, enough in, in any sense of the word. You can go down so many different avenues. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's very true. And I, and I think some people resist the gifts because they do have to up their game. Oh, yeah. They, they do have to cut out the bullshit and the drama, and they don't want to. They're so addicted to their drama. It's crazy. Oh, and I can just imagine all the giggling people are, are they're thinking about as they're driving their car or listening to this today, knowing who the people are that are so addicted to their drama in their life, their gifts wouldn't be even on their radar. Mm-hmm. There, it wouldn't be anything that they want. Or for some people, you wouldn't want them to use their intuitive gifts because they would use it against another person. Yeah. They would use it in a control over mm-hmm. and feed the narcissism. Mm-hmm. And that, that that's very important, again, for people to hear that today, that if you're practicing using your own gifts and you pick a narcissist, good luck. Because they'll figure out anything about you with those gifts to use against you. And that, that's nasty. But it but you have to hear it. This is this it's not all easy. Mm-hmm. There are challenges to it. Well, but boy, it's worth working through. When that's the case, you get a feeling very quickly of discomfort and pay attention to it and go find the people who are authentically supporting you. Mm-hmm. And if there are none, use nature. For the people that are sitting out there that might say, well, I don't have the money to book an appointment um, with either one of us, um, we've told you things like the podcast shows, good authors that do things like this and support it. Um, uh, Maybe TED Talks, if you can find some on the internet or whatever. Um, But if you really have nobody, if you really do feel that you are that isolated, ask nature to give you signs. Ask nature to play with you with your intuition. Ask a crow to show up or a bluebird or whatever. Uh, just get nature involved. 
And I think a lot of people could sit there and go, I knew that from the minute she started the show. My dog and I have this relationship. My cat and I do. My horse and I do. I think some people totally get that Mm -hmm. and would rather stay using their their intuition and practicing with animals and nature than ever confronting a human Mm -hmm. being. That's fair. (laughs) Well, yeah, because the humans are the ones that do the lying. The pets and nature never do. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've given them great signs today um, about what we do when, and how we feel and how it affects us when we sh- try to shut it down or when we live with it in shutdown mode and some tools to come out of that if for people that are beginning and for people that are maybe practicing and good at it and want to expand it even more. Cool. Do you want to end it there? Yeah. Okay. Um Thank you for listening today. We appreciate it. Uh, as always, we, we ask that if you have questions or comments about today's podcast, you can email us at info at uh, Also, we have an event coming up at the Hampton Inn at the end of April on the 28th from 7 till 9. We're channeling for the public uh, for two hours. If you would like tickets to this event, you can give us a call at 705-471-3804 or you can head over to the website under our events and purchase tickets there.